Today's scripture comes to us from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for, the, for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the glory and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would speak to us. Though, Lord, you have every right to be silent because of our sin, and yet because of your Son, Jesus, you are compelled out of your great mercy and love to speak now. And so, Lord, give us the life spring that comes from your word and all the commands, all the promises, all the hopes that come with it. May it saturate our soul and lift us up so that we can see the hope that we have in you. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Life is pain. Anyone who says otherwise is trying to sell you something. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says otherwise is trying to sell you something. Those iconic words come from the Hollywood cult classic, The Princess Bride, and they come in a dialogue between the Princess Buttercup and her kidnapper, the dread pirate Roberts, who, unbeknownst to her, is actually Buttercup's long-lost love, Wesley. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, why are you starting off your message with an obscure line from an obscure movie I've never heard of? Well, to encourage you to watch the movie, of course, but more importantly, because this line perfectly captures the reality that you and I, and I excuse me, live in, and that is, life is pain. The longer you live this life, the more difficult it gets, because the more sorrow you have to experience, the more heartache you have to endure. Well, aren't you a Debbie Downer, Pastor? Yeah. Maybe I am, but you know I'm also right. And I know you know that I'm right, evidenced by the fact that we live in a culture that is constantly reinforcing this idea that life is pain. Case in point, haven't you ever heard this cultural expression many times? My cross to bear? Oh, being married to this man is my cross to bear. I didn't hear any woman say that in this congregation, I promise. Okay? Oh, working you know, for this guy is my cross to bear. I don't think Hannah has said that lately, you know. Oh, being a part of this church is my cross to bear. You've heard that before? My cross to bear? According to freedictionary.com, that expression is defined as follows, quote, cross to bear, a difficulty, responsibility, or burden that someone must handle on their own. Now, just to state the obvious, the answer to your question right now is yes. This expression comes from our passage here in Luke chapter 9. But what I find so interesting is that the way the dictionary defines this expression is completely different to how Jesus defines it in the passage that we're looking at today. Because according to Christ, this expression, cross to bear, is not a general expression that describes every and any kind of suffering that every and any kind of person could experience. No, according to Jesus, the bearing of one's cross or taking up the cross is a specific suffering that is reserved only for those who follow Christ in this 
world. It is a specific expression of suffering that is only reserved for those for who are followers of Jesus. And today's main idea of the sermon, this is the main takeaway that I want you to remember, that Jesus is going to show us that one of the primary way that we display our allegiance to him is by our willingness to take up our cross. Now, some of you here, especially those of you investigating Christianity, might find that very odd because we live in a culture that says differently. Because our culture says that the way Christians express their loyalty, their admiration, their, their commitment to Christ, their allegiance to Christ is by, I don't know, voting Republican all the time or picketing a Planned Parenthood clinic or only homeschooling your kids, never sending them to public school. But Jesus says, no, no. The ultimate barometer that most accurately indicates whether someone is a true believer is their willingness and their actual fulfillment of taking up their cross. We're continuing today our sermon series through our vision statement. And the reason why we're addressing this topic of taking up the cross is because that is the portion of the vision statement that we're looking at today. And just to give you an orientation, take a look at what our vision statement says. Quote, NCF exists to grow up in the gospel in order to go out with the gospel through members that flourish Queens, New York City, the world, and the next generation by displaying their primary allegiance to Jesus. I want to try and show you that the way that we followers of Jesus display our allegiance to him is by our willingness and our actual taking up of the cross that we are called to carry. So with that in mind, two things I want to share with you in light of that idea. Number one, what it means to bear our cross. And then finally, why we need to bear our cross. What it means to bear our cross and why we need to bear our cross. So let's begin with the first point, what it means to bear our cross. Read again with me verse 23 where it records Jesus saying these words. And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now before I explain what Jesus is saying, let me first make sure that you understand what he is not saying. And I say this for those of you who grew up going to church, attending Sunday school your whole life. Because Christians like you tend to read Jesus' words and create certain certain questions that go something like this uh pastor what is jesus talking about here because i was taught that the whole reason of jesus going to the cross is so that i wouldn't have to go to the cross isn't that essentially what the christian faith means is that that jesus took my place he was my savior substitute he died on the cross for my sins so i wouldn't have to pay for my sins and hence i wouldn't have to go to the cross what is this all about why is jesus saying what the bible elsewhere says we wouldn't have to do namely go to the cross can you explain well let me first say this and this is something i say to all of those who have asked me this question in the past and it's simply this you need to read better <laughs> You need to be more careful in your reading because notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, take up my cross and follow me. What did he say? Take up your cross, the follower's cross, and follow me. Right? The cross Jesus is telling his followers to bear or to carry is not the cross that he took for us up to Calvary's hill. There are some similarities, no doubt, but one crucial difference is that our daily cross that we are to carry is not producing the same results that the once and for all Christ was that was carried for us by Jesus himself. Hear me when I say this. It is only the cross of Christ that gives us the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, the status of children, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, it is only the cross of Christ that gives us the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, the status as children of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So herein lies the question. What exactly is this cross that Jesus is telling us to carry? And more specifically, what does it represent? Read again just the second half of verse 23. Take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross is how you follow Jesus Christ. Or if I could put it another way, the cross is a symbol that describes the nature of our Christian life. And it's not too hard to figure out what that symbol is, because think about what the cross represented. What is the cross? The cross is a symbol of what? Suffering, sacrifice, sorrow. Those are the three experiences Jesus had to endure when he took up his cross. He suffered. He was in sorrow. He sacrificed. In a sense, that is what Jesus is saying when it comes to living the Christian life. Now, what does that mean specifically? It means this. When it comes to living the Christian life, it is not a comfortable life. Let me say that again. Living the Christian life is not a comfortable life. It is filled with, with sorrow, suffering, and sacrifice. This is something that you need to comprehend. Consider these words from apologist C.S. Lewis when he once said this, quote, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly wouldn't recommend Christianity. Sobering words and words that we constantly need to be reminded of because you and I, Christian, are living in a day and age where a certain brand of Christianity is being promoted that promises satisfaction, that promises stability, that promises success, that are essentially false promises because Jesus has never taught and the Bible has never repeated this notion that the Christian life is an easy life or a comfortable life. This whole nonsense of living your best life now is really just that. It is nonsense. And friends, if you're here today investigating the Christian faith and the criteria that you are using to determine whether or not you are going to consider being a Christian is that it's going to make it easier for you or it's going to make you more comfortable, I'm going to tell you now, Christianity is not the faith for you because you will severely, severely be disappointed. The only criteria you should have on whether or not you should seriously consider on becoming a Christian is because it is true, not because it's comfortable. Because it is true and not because it's comfortable. That's a big difference. They're not the same thing. In fact, sometimes they're polar opposite because we all know, as they say, the truth hurts. But it's so much better than living a lie that is comfortable. So putting all this together, What does it mean to bear the cross? It means we live the Christian life without the expectation that it's going to be easy or it's going to be comfortable, but quite the opposite. We live with the expectation that sorrow, that suffering, that sometimes solitude is coming our way, and that is normal. That is normal. It is not abnormal. I cannot understand sometimes, and yet I can, when Christians go through suffering, say, why is this happening to me? Have you not heard? Have you not read? Have you not seen what Jesus teaches us in his word? The Christian life is a cruciform life. It is a life where you take up the cross daily. And that's normal. Now, I know that some of you, maybe all of you are hearing this, and this is not appealing at all. Quite the opposite is appalling. 
And the question is, if I left it here in the sermon, I said, let's close our eyes and pray. I don't know if many of us will last the end of this week. So in the hope of protecting your faith, Christian, so you keep walking with Jesus. And for those of you, so that you could have a production of faith so that you could begin walking with Jesus. Let me go to my next point, why we need to bear the cross. Pick it back up with me. We're starting in verse 24. We read, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Spirit angels now embedded in these verses are the reasons jesus gives as to why we are to take up the cross and why that's a good thing and notice i said reasons plural not reason singular because as i hope to show you in a moment there are two reasons that when we combine it create a cumulative effect that not only creates the desire but the willingness to take up the cross so let's quickly go through it by looking at the first reason that's spoken of in verse 24 to 25 where again jesus says save our life we will lose it but if we lose our life for jesus sake we will save it now again Those of you who are Sunday school Christians, please don't make the same mistake as in point one, because I know you love to nitpick, and I know you like to come at me with these kinds of questions, you know, questions that go something like, uh, pastor, doesn't the Bible say that we cannot save ourselves by our works, right? Doesn't Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved, not by your works, so that no man can boast. So how can Jesus say what we just read? How can he say that we can save ourselves by taking up the cross? Are you saying that Jesus saying that, 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 that we can be saved? saved by our own works i.e taking up the cross no i'm not saying that again the cross jesus is telling you to bear is not the cross that he bore for you on calvary's hill and because that is so the salvation that he's speaking of here is not the same salvation he secured when he went to the cross for you so here's the question what is he referring to when he uses the word save what does he mean by the word save It's really simple. He simply means secure. Secure. After all, isn't that when you do feel safe, when you are secure? In fact, if you substitute the word secure for the word save in our passage, you'll find a much clearer understanding of what Jesus is actually saying. So let's try that. Verse 24 again, but let's time substitute the words. For whoever would secure his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will secure it. Is that more helpful? Indeed it is. Because now we're no longer distracted by that theologically loaded word. And now we can focus on the word that Jesus wants us to focus on, which is the word what? Life. Life. You see, Jesus wants us to make sure that we are securing the correct life. Again, Jesus wants to make sure that we are securing the correct life. And you hear like, wait, what? The correct life. Don't you just mean life itself? Because when you say the correct life, aren't you implying there's another life, i.e. the incorrect one? But how is that possible when there's only one life to live, pastor? Oh, is there? Is there only one life to live? And I'm assuming you're talking about the life you're living here and now. Well, according to Jesus, he would disagree. Because how else can you make sense of what he says in verse 24? How can you lose something and yet save it at the same time? How can you save something and yet lose it at the same time? You cannot. But if you had two lives, one that you're willing to let go of, lose, so that you could secure the other, save, now it makes sense, right? See, the Bible teaches us that every human being 
has two lives. Cats have nine, we have two. There's the life before you die, and there's the life after you die. Two different lives in one person. Now, again, if you're not a Christian, you hear that, you think that sounds absurd, right? To believe there is such a thing as an afterlife is as ridiculous as believing in something like, I don't know, flying spaghetti monsters or, or something that ridiculous. But consider the consequences of what happens if you really believe there is no afterlife and that this is all there is. Do you realize what that would mean, what the implication would be? It would mean that the only opportunity, the only chance that you have of living an enjoyable life is here and now, right? That means, coupled with the fact that there are limited resources to where not everyone can enjoy that same life, what would that make you in relation to other people? Would you become someone who is willing to share, who is charitable, who is kind? Or would it most likely turn you into someone who is cruel, who has killer instinct, who is unsafe? When you consider the underlying tone of what Jesus says in 25, he seems to imply the latter rather than the former. Read again what he says in 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? himself do you hear the warning that jesus is saying he's saying at what cost are you willing to pay to enjoy life at the expense of others to where you become the kind of person to where you forfeit yourself you lose yourself do you really want to be that kind of person who can't stand looking at old pictures of yourself with your loved ones because of bridges burned do you really want to be that kind of person who can't look at themselves in the mirror because of what you turned out the cost you had to pay just so that you could live your best life now i'm sure many of you have in your life or you know someone who has someone in their life who's lived by this philosophy And you've known firsthand of the heartache and the heartbreak and the earth-shattering trauma that has resulted, maybe, your trauma, your heartbreak. You know, if there was any reason as to why I think we should follow Jesus' command to take up the cross, it's that reason right there. By taking up the cross, we protect our loved ones from us. When we forfeit ourselves and we lose ourselves in such a way, that we become nothing but terror and trauma to the people around us, especially the people we love. Wouldn't that be reason enough? Sure it would. But guess what? Jesus says there's another reason. In fact, a greater reason than that. And that leads to the second reason Jesus says that we are to take up the cross, which he speaks of in 26. Read it again with me. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Spirit angels when i was in college or really when i graduated college uh, my parents bought me a car a brand new car and i hated that car you know why i was like oh you should be grateful but you you'll understand just a moment you know why i hated my brand new car that my parents got for me it's because they got me an oldsmobile intrigue i didn't want an oldsmobile intrigue i wanted a honda accord that all my friends had right? I wanted the Honda Accord 1999 model. Okay, that was when I graduated college, all right? Stop calculating, right? And one Saturday, I saw my stepfather behind my car doing something, and I was like, what in the world is he doing? So when I went out there and turned around and see what he did, I hated my car even more, because you know what he put on my car without my consent? It's one of those Jesus fishes, 
Remember those Jesus fishes back in the 90s that were popular? Right? And I was like, what are you doing, man? I said that to him. I said that to a Korean Ajishi. <laughs> it's the first time I ever called my stepfather a man. Like, what are you doing, man? My mom saw my anger, and she just went up to me and rebuked me. Are you ashamed to be a Christian? Are you ashamed, my son? Right? My mom does that. She says, my son, to make it stick a little worse, right? Are you ashamed, my son? And I replied to her, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm ashamed to be a Christian driving an Oldsmobile Intrigue with a Jesus fish on it. Now, kidding aside, my mom does have a point, and you know what that is. As followers of Christ, we are to be loud and proud for who we are as believers. We should not be ashamed. We should not be hiding. We should be going public, announcing triumphantly that we are Jesus' followers, that we love God. And many people think that is what Jesus is saying here, that that we shouldn't be like how I was with my Oldsmobile. (laughs) But I don't think that's really what Jesus is saying because of what he says in the latter half of verse 26. Read it again with me. He says this, quote, Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Here Jesus is describing what's going to happen at the end of the world when he comes back in his second coming and he's completely vanquished the enemy, destroyed all that is harmful, all that is evil in the world. And he comes in glory where he's the center of attention to the admiration and adoration of everyone. Okay, this is Jesus on cosmic display for cosmic celebration. It's all centered on him. Okay, that's the context. And yet, it's in that context that he says, those who are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of on this glorious day. Now, when you understand that, it should be obvious that when he uses the word ashamed, he's not referring to being embarrassed or humiliated because this is Jesus' day. Nothing can embarrass him. Nothing can humiliate him. He could associate with the lowest low life, and instead of being brought down, that low life will be lifted up in exaltation. So clearly, when he's using the word ashamed, it's not referring to being embarrassed or humiliated when referring to himself, which also means when he's using to refer to those who are ashamed of him, those people who were ashamed weren't so because they were embarrassed or humiliated. It's more because of what? It was because they did not see Jesus as worthy, right? That's what the word ashamed is. When Jesus says, I will be ashamed of you, he's not saying you're going to embarrass me. He's simply saying you're not worthy of partaking of this glorious moment where I am exalted, I am lifted up, right? And that's what Jesus is saying about those who are ashamed of him. When the time came for them to take up the cross, they said, no, thank you. Jesus, you're not worth it. You're not worth it because something else is more worthwhile than you. And you know what that is? It's sin. It's indulging. It's living in. It's going back to sin over and over again. Let me ask you this. What does the cross of Jesus mean to God? Do you know what the cross of Jesus means to God? Most Christians will say, oh, the cross, it represents human sin, right? it's a symbol of all the collective sins that Jesus atoned for. And indeed, yes, that's what the New Testament describes the cross of Christ as. It is a representation of humanity's sin. Hence, Jesus had to die on the cross to show that he made full payment for those sins that he died for. But here's the question. How do you have that payment of sin applied to you? Do you know what the Bible says? In order for you to receive payment for your sins... You must first believe the motivation as to why God did that for you in the first place. It's because he extravagantly loves you. 
That's what you first have to believe in order for the payment of sin to be credited to you. That's what John 3.16 says, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. So here's the thing. The cross of Jesus, what does it represent for God? It represents God's love for you. Now, if that's the case, what would you suggest, hypothetically, is your cross that you're bearing? Doesn't it make sense that it represents your love for God, right? Doesn't it show that our cross, which is a response from Jesus' cross for us, represents our love for Jesus, Christian, here's the thing I want you to remember from today's sermon. If there's anything I want you to remember, it's this statement I'm about to say. Your cross cannot cause the salvation from your sins, but your cross can cause the savoring of the Savior of your sins. Let me say this again. Your cross cannot cause the salvation from your sins, but your cross can cause the savoring of the Savior of your sins. That right there is the second reason Jesus says you are to bear the cross. Why we should bear the cross because it becomes the means, the practical means in which we grow and develop our love for God. And what that practically means is we don't live our life in such a way that we expose ourselves to situations or scenarios that arouse our desire to sin or opportunities to sin. Why? Because here's something that you know is true. The more you sin the less you will love God. The more you obey God, truly obey God, the more you will love him. By the way, do you know that's how you can tell between true obedience and false obedience? True obedience always results in you loving God more. False obedience always results with the expectation that God should love you more, specifically more than other people. And what does that create? Self-righteousness, legalism, right? that you are better than other people. You may not have heard this before, but you need to understand the greatest gift God gave to us through Jesus dying on the cross is the ability to love God. Let me say that again. The greatest gift that Jesus gave to us by dying on the cross is the ability to love God. Now, I know that sounds weird because we never think of our love for someone as their gift to us. Right? We see it more as our gift to them. Right? But the Bible says no. That's not how it works. The greatest gift God could give you is giving you the ability to love him. That's one of the greatest, if not the greatest gift. Because he restores to you an ability that you lost through Adam and Eve once they ate that forbidden fruit. Right? We lost through original sin the ability to love God. It's kind of like um, what is that called? Colorblind glasses. Have you seen these videos on, on YouTube or on Facebook? Right, they have these glasses now where people with color blindness can put them on and they can see color for the first time. I must have seen four or five different uh, versions of this. If you go on YouTube, if you go on Facebook, you'll find it. Right? And it doesn't matter who these people are, whether they're a crusty old, cynical old guy or that young 12-year-old child. Right? No matter what, once they put on the glasses, the reaction is always the same. They're moved to tears. They can't talk. They're overwhelmed with emotions. One girl I saw put it on, a high school graduate put it on, and she said, is that purple? I love purple. I love purple crying. She's saying she loves something. Now let me ask you, is she taking credit for this love for purple? 
Who is responsible for this love that is in her? Is it her or is the object of her love? You see? When you love God, that's no credit to you. It's because the object of your love creates the greatest gift that you could ever experience. You get to behold glory. Just like the glory of color of purple for the first time of a blind person, colorblind person, Jesus says that when I come again on my second coming, you will be given access to the glorious beauty that you know you've received because you can appreciate it, you can experience it by loving me. Do you get that? This is why, by the way, people in hell are so miserable. Because like the people of verse 26, they were not worthy of receiving the gift of God's love. You know, some people think that people in hell, you know, are going like, oh, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, please, mercy, mercy. That's not what the Bible says. People in hell are constantly cursing God forever. Right? How else could they be otherwise? Because they have not been given the gift of the gospel that comes from the ability to experience God's glory, God's beauty. They cannot experience God's love. The reason why the metaphorical or maybe literal fires of hell never go out isn't because God hates those people so much. It's because they hate God so much. Because they can't see. They don't have the glasses of the glory of Christ. But coming back to the point at hand, this is why we should take up the cross and why we take it up daily. Just like a colorblind person would take on and put on those glasses daily to make new discoveries of the depth, of the beauty, of the wonder of loving God. That it should be the main reason, Christian, why you're more than willing to take up the cross, even if it requires some sorrow, some pain, some forfeiture of saying no to sin. You say, you know what? So be it. Life is pain. So be it. Because I know there is a greater pain. There is the greater loss. There is a greater sorrow if I said yes to sin by being deprived of the greatest experience of glory, the greatest experience of beauty, the greatest experience of love. That's why we bear the cross. Life is pain, but hope is sweet because Jesus is loving. I want to end today's message by giving you some next steps. First, if today's message kind of hit the tipping point for you to where you're now ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life and you're ready to receive the greatest gift he could give, right? The gift of the spirit that will cause you to love him. I invite you now, take this time to repent of your sins, make Jesus the Lord of your life, make him your king. Come talk to me. I would love to guide you in your next steps of this wonderful journey of faith you're about to take. Um, For the rest of you this week, meditate on Psalm 84. What is Psalm 84? You'll recognize it when you start reading it for the first, first line of it, right? <clears throat> How lovely is your dwelling place? That one, yeah? That's not just a song, guys. It's, it's from the Bible. Right? Memorize. Meditate on it. Think about the glory of Jesus and the gift that he gives you by enabling you to love him, okay? And ask yourself, what sins has God called you to crucify that you're struggling to follow through on. Hmm? Write them out. Go to the Lord. 
with a repentant heart, asking God to forgive your unwillingness and then ask him to deepen your love for God. Ask for those wonderful lenses of the cross to be put upon the eyes of your soul. Ask a trusted Oikos group member or fellow Christian to pray for you and keep you accountable in crucifying your sins. And then finally, <coughs> pick up a copy of Michael Reeves' book, Delighting in the Trinity. This is perhaps one of my top five favorite books in all of my Christian life. All of my Christian life. Not this year, not just this past decade, all of my Christian life. A chunk of this sermon comes from this book. And it's less than 130 pages. <laughs> like, oh, okay, yeah, finally. Oh, Please pick up a copy and just be ready to be blown away by it. Okay, Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would truly take heed of the truth that the greatest gift that you have endowed us with by your spirit is to love you in full. Father, I ask that that would be true for all my brothers and sisters, especially for those who are struggling right now as they see the cross they must bear as being unbearable and something maybe even unreasonable. Lord, if they are there, I pray for them right now. I pray that they would hear these words and that they would take it to heart and it would bring the change of mind and the change of heart so that they could see that because you bore your cross for us, our cross is nothing but a gift that we give to you because you've endowed us with the gift of loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let that be true of us and let it be true of this community so that the world would truly collaterally benefit from our love for you and the ways that we express our love for you by being kind to our neighbors, by serving the poor, and being a faithful witness against injustice. Oh God, would you hear us now, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.